Well, good morning. Uh, this morning, uh, I'm going to invite my friend Grant up here. Grant, come on up. Uh, Grant and I are gonna do, we're going to uh, demonstrate for you uh, different types of hugs in case uh, that maybe some of you have forgotten, um, not think of anyone in particular. Um, but anyway, so uh, sometimes we need a tutorial on how to be uh, warm with one another, right? And, and so we're going to go through a couple of different hugs. Uh, the first one, just a, a basic normal hug, which many of you forget that uh, when you're going to uh, hug someone, uh, you have to put your arms in a, a certain angle that matches the other person, but in an opposite way. Okay, so we're going to demonstrate. Grant, you ready? Okay. Hey, buddy. That's a good hug. He's a good hugger. Um, so that's a normal hug. And then you've got the A-frame hug, which uh, maybe the A stands for awkward in addition to uh, the, the stance. But if you think of an A-frame house, um, so what, uh, I, I don't know why this hug was developed, but the A-frame hug is basically uh, you put your hands out, uh, kind of like you're going to choke them or let your mummy, which Neither one of those you're going to do, just to be clear. And so uh, you go and you put your hands on uh, each other's shoulders. Um, yeah, we're not dancing. And then you kind of <laughs> lean in and your feet are 10 feet away from the other person like you're going to fall into them. Like, I don't know why that hug was invented, but it's super awkward and, and there you have it. And then uh, you've got uh, the bro hug, um, or you might call it the man hug, um, the, the handshake hug, where uh, you go, you pop it, and then uh, you, you pat on the back. Now, not violently, because it's a hug. You're trying to, to say to the other person, I care about you, but also, I'm a dude. <laughs> And still manly, right? And so that's the purpose of that one. Um, the next kind of hug is the hand hug. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had this. If you've never uh, had a hand hug with anyone uh, before, it kind of throws you because all of a sudden uh, something's happening and you're like, what's going on? And uh, so anyway, it's like you go to high five. I know I'm excited about it too. And uh, you wrap your thumb around the other person's hand, kind of like this. Let's show everybody. Okay, can you all see that? Yeah, and it's kind of like, oh, it's unexpected. It's a, it's a hand hug. Yeah, it's nice. You're really great at the hand hug, Grant. And then uh, there's the classic uh, that they uh, teach people who work with teenagers and vulnerable adults, the side hug, okay, which uh, has some quirks to it. So when you go to side hug someone, you're not looking at them. You're looking this way for some reason, even though you're trying to communicate uh, care and, and love. And also your hips are touching, which just throws the whole thing uh, out of whack for me because if it's supposed to be like a safe touch kind of hug, why is Grant getting my hip? You know what I'm saying? So it's just, it's just weird. Author and entrepreneur John Acuff calls that the holiest of hugs, and we all know why. Um, I invented a new type of hug, and uh, I'm going to tell you all about that uh, today so that you can mark down that October 6, 2019 is when you learned about this hug, okay? So uh, before I get to that uh, story of how that hug came to be, let's give Grant a round of applause. Thanks, Grant. Great hugger, that guy. So, um, you know how some of the best inventions uh, are pure accidents? Uh, penicillin, the microwave, things like that, that uh, they just came out of an, an accidental happenstance. So that's where this hug that I'm about to tell you about uh, came to be. But this is 
how it came to be. Um, so back in 1998, 2000, I was an intern for a student ministry at Lee's Summit United Methodist Church, now known as The Summit. Uh, a friend of mine was a youth director, and so uh, I was working uh, on, uh, for her and got to know lots of really cool students, a lot of uh, whom I, I am still in contact with and I see every once in a while. And so um, there was one girl in particular, she had moved from Alabama, and so she had just this sweet southern accent, cough, cough, Robin Miller. And uh, it was just a, a really great accent. And so when I asked her, hey, where are you from? Because Lee Summit is clearly not where she's originally from. She said Alabama. And in classic Brian formation, I said, can I call you Bama? And uh, with any good nickname, you want it to be something that they approve of and that also sticks right? And she did approve, and it did stick. And so, uh, Bama, uh, I was so excited to uh, get her a nickname. And so, Bama and I got to know each other better and better. Um, she's a really cool girl, and um, I ended up forgetting her real name, <laughs> which uh, when you see someone down the road, um, and you're like, nickname, I forgot who you are actually, like your full name, your real name. And so fast forward to this past August. A bunch of us neighbors were in the lake. Um, our kids are playing off to the side. They're safe, but the adults like, were just like, go swim over that way and just leave us alone, right? It's one of those days. And so we're in the lake, and um, uh, this woman comes down uh, the dock. She jumps in. We're making conversation and um, getting to know each other. We introduce one another, and she says to me, you look really familiar. And I'm like, yeah, you look familiar too. And it's one of those things where you start to think, do I really know this person, or do they think we look familiar? And so that makes me think that we, uh, that we know each other. You know what I'm saying? And so that's what's going on through my head, and I'm like trying to piece it together, trying to piece it together. And so finally she says, you sound familiar. Now when someone says you sound familiar, you probably know them. You probably have spent time with them. And so uh, finally I'm just like, well, what is it? Let's try and figure this out. And she says, well, what do you do for a living? And so I said, well, I'm a pastor at a church. And she laughs and she goes, that's not it. <laughs> oh, you see you were there. You heard it. Um, so I don't, I don't like to tell people that I'm a pastor sometimes because it, it changes the conversation. Do you know what I'm saying? It, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, what word did I say that might offend him? Like, no, like just I'm a normal person, uh, not a commentary on, on other pastors per se. Um, and so I, I just want to get to know people just, you know, that doesn't have to be an issue. So anyway, it's not that. And with her laughter, I can kind of tell, okay, uh, I, I, I can tell there, you know, there's something behind that. And so uh, as we're uh, talking more and more, she says, well, I, so I'm like, where do you work? And she lists off all these places, and, and she works at the Pearl now, which is uh, a tavern in uh, Summit Woods Crossing, and, uh, or shopping center, whatever. And so uh, getting to know each other, and, and I'm, I, I'm, I think maybe she's one of uh, these students who's, who's grown up now that I knew back in nine, 1998 and 2000. And so uh, I, I, I kind of put out a feeler, because I'm also kind of, I don't know why I'm nervous, but I want to figure this out. And so I say, uh, are you sisters with so-and-so? And she's like, no. And I thought, no, that's not it. And then it clicks. It clicks. And so... Uh, she starts talking a little bit more, and I'm like, there's a southern accent there. 
oh my gosh. And so uh, I said, I think I got it. I think I got it. And she's like, where? What, what, how do we know each other? And I said, back in 1998, did you move here from Alabama? And I called you Bama. And she said, yes, you did. And I said, I'm going to give you a lake hug right now. Can I do that? And I swim over. She's like, yes. And we like swim and embrace in a weird hug in a lake that you really shouldn't do unless you're married to that person. <laughs> or you've sired them and you're your offspring. So I invented the lake hug, and I highly recommend that you do not try this. Here's what I wanted to communicate to Bama, uh, real name Jen, if you're interested. Um, here's what I wanted to communicate to her, who obviously, she doesn't care to have a church community in her life for whatever reason. Um, I wanted to communicate to her not only that I was excited to figure out how we knew each other and that uh, I was excited to see her again, but I wanted to tell her that I'm for her, that I care about her. Hence, the super awkward leg hug that makes an A-frame hug look pure uh, normal, right? And so... um, My guess is the reason she didn't have uh, the reaction uh, that I had hoped for when I said I was a pastor. I guess, what would be the reaction I was hoping for? Oh, really? I'd love to learn more about, you know, what does your church do in community-wise? You know, that sort of thing. I'd love to have had that conversation. Um, But for whatever reason, my guess is it's the same reason why back in 1998 and 2000, people were gossiping about Bama. They're gossiping uh, probably the same reason for 2019 all these years later because uh, when she jumped into the water and swam over, um, she joined her wife who was with us in the lake. And so I was for sure wanting her to know that I am for her. Today we are going to be asking you the question, who are you for? Who are you for? We're not starting a new ministry with this here at Woods Chapel. We're not uh, asking you to volunteer for an event that's tied to this. But we're going to be asking you, who are you for? Who is it in your life that you are for? Uh, Jacob Stansbury, he's our connecting director. He and I collaborated uh, on this message. He's been thinking about this for uh, a couple of months because he doesn't speak as much. And so he's got more time to put thoughts into this. And so a lot of these thoughts uh, come from that brain of his. Uh, And so if there's anything good, then attribute that to Jacob. Except for the lake hug, I'm sure he was not going to want to touch that with a 10-foot pole. So uh, our calling as Christians, as Christ followers, is to shrink the gap between couch and church. If you think of the gap that uh, exists for uh, a guy at home, a family, whoever, that doesn't have going to a church worship Uh, experience in the morning, part of their life. For whatever reason, we need to to shrink that gap. And I don't think it's because um, uh, people are angry, uh, they're not picketing the church, but it's more of just, it's not a part of their lives. They don't care. And so church isn't an option for them. So how do we make a church community an option for people? We talk a lot about uh, what it means to uh, build community. We just went through that sermon series, Tangible Kingdom, of how we live that out. Today, we're asking, who are you for? 
And what does that mean? This morning, uh, we're going to be talking about outreach and what that is as well. Um, but but for, before we do that, I want to get into our passage for this morning. Now, our passage is from Romans chapter 8. If you want to open your Bibles, uh, I'm going to be reading from the message version because I really like uh, how it's phrased uh, for this passage today. But it's from a letter to a community in Rome, and it's written by one of these first uh, leaders in the original generation of Christ followers, a guy named Paul, a guy who's somewhat known for reaching out to others, specifically who don't think that God is for them. And so Romans is a letter that's written to a community that's got two kinds of groups in it, ethnic Jewish Christ followers who have been waiting for the Messiah, they hear about Jesus, and they sign on board. That's him. We worship this God as expressed through Jesus Christ. And then the other group is ethnic Italians, and non-Jewish Christ followers, people uh, who have been transformed by the message of the gospel of Christ. And so uh, in this community, because they were different, they had disagreements. They had points of contention. Did you know that when you're different from other people, you might disagree that's crazy, right? I know that's crazy talk. You probably don't believe me, but, but it actually does happen. And so uh, there are these disagreements. As one commentator, uh, Scott McKnight, is making a case to say that uh, the, the disagreements come down in how you put into practice stuff from the Old Testament. And not that the Gentile, non-Jewish Christ followers, stay with me now, not that they were saying that the Old Testament is worthless, but there are things in there that just don't apply in the same ways that they do once Jesus came onto the scene. And so you've got the Jewish uh, Christ followers that are kind of feeling like, well, uh, we've gone through this and this is our identity. It should be your identity too. And Paul's writing to say, no, 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 no. You got to understand what unifies us through Christ. And so there are all these passages in this letter where uh, Paul is reminding us that uh, even though we might be different from other people, regardless of what they think of us, God is for us. God is for us. And so Paul takes a lot of time to talk about that. And so without further ado, from Romans chapter 8. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare to even point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. They kill us in cold blood because they hate you. We're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing Nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. 
That's a great passage. Paul's actually drawing some inspiration from another great passage in uh, the book of Isaiah, written hundreds and hundreds of years prior to this letter to the Romans. From Isaiah chapter 50, it says this, The one who will declare me innocent is near. Who will argue with me? Let's stand up together. Who will bring judgment against me? Let him approach me. Look, the Lord God will help me. Who will condemn me? I love this. I love this. Take that, people who think the Old Testament is just a bunch of cranky old God stuff, right? It's not. Throughout Scripture is the story that's woven through that God is for us. That, yes, we're sinful, we're broken, we, we do it to ourselves, we, we're, we're messed up. And before we have the moment to choose sin, God chooses to love us. God is for us. What does God think of me? Do I bring honor and shame to God? That's what people are thinking. The book of Romans and, and, and Isaiah, um, what they're concerned with is honor and shame. And that's something that we don't necessarily get in our culture. We, we've got some honor and shame uh, that are going on. Uh, when people uh, post a picture uh, of their dog who's holding a sign and it said, I broke the chandelier. Uh, chandelier? Uh, I broke the vase or the whatever, right? And that this, people are shaming their dogs who are obviously going to counseling after they've pub- publicly shamed on Instagram. Um, but our, our brothers and sisters in the East have uh, an honor and shame culture uh, that we don't. And so when they read scripture like this, they hear these questions. What does God think of me? Do I bring honor and shame to God? The fourth commandment, do not take the Lord's name in vain. A lot of times we think of that um, as uh, what comes out of our mouth when we stub our toe. Yeah? You stub your toe and you say Jesus is first and last name of Nazareth. Right? That's what his... Okay, so you stub your toe. And yes, that's part of it. But, but I think a, a deeper meaning behind the fourth commandment of do not take God's name in vain is how you live your life, how you represent God with how you treat other people as image bearers. I think that's what it's getting at. And so do I, uh, what does God think of me? So in 2019, here's how we might phrase it in relation to our families. Do I make my mom and dad proud? That's how we think of honor and shame. And that's what this passage is getting to below the surface is addressing the fact that there are so many people out out there in this world who don't know what God thinks of them, or they just assume that God is against them. Isn't that something almost all people in your life wonder? If you really look at their attitudes, if you really uh, observe their behavior and think through what they're saying and what's behind that, doesn't matter if they're the irreligious or you're committed to a church community or I go to church sometimes crowd. All people want to know if God is judging them or not and how he's judging them and what God is judging about them. So in praying for uh, this message this morning, I was, I was really praying that God would remind us of a couple things. One, that God is for us. Like this passage so beautifully says in Romans and so many others. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Who do we have to fear if we've got God on our side? And the other thing that I want us to remember is that if God is for us, then that means that we need to start thinking 
that we should be for other image bearers too. We should be thinking about how other images of God, other uh, children of God need to know that we are for them because God is for them. Back to that idea of outreach. Outreach is when we reach beyond our walls, when we're in the community, whether it's an event or uh, just a presence to provide something for people who are already not a part of Woods Chapel. Events that you might not realize uh, that we do that are outreach uh, events, uh, Upward Basketball, Financial Peace University, or the color war that our student ministry put on uh, earlier in September. Another example uh, of uh, an outreach presence, an outreach idea came to us uh, through Jacob. He, he was listening to uh, a podcast that a church was putting on, and they talked about how they were communicating that they were for uh, their community. And so the for Raytown language that you hear, our Raytown Chapel campus using quite a bit, came out of an Atlanta church that was talking about how they are for their community. The mayor of Raytown has picked up on the for Raytown byline. How cool is that? That people are starting to pay attention to that. Everyone could probably list five people in their lives who would say that the church is against this, that the church is against that. Everyone knows what the church is against. What if we started helping people understand what God is for? Because a lot of times people say, well, Christ followers are just judgmental, intolerant, and arrogant. Things that, that Jesus was the opposite of. What if we told our community and the people in it that God was for them and that our church is for them? Because we're called as Christ followers to be for other people. We're called to be for schools and local businesses. We're called to be for churches, other churches, kids, students, single adults, people who are less conservative than us, people who are more conservative than us. Uh, we're, we're called to be four families with 2.3 kids and uh, a married union. Why is that sounding weird out of my mouth? Because it's weird, Brian. Uh, we're called to be four same-sex couples. We're called to be for transgender men and women. We're called to be four people. We're not called to agree with everything that everyone says or believes, but we are called to be four them. That's why when Jesus says for us to pray for our enemies, he's not asking us to pray that an anvil falls down on their head. He's asking us to pray for good things for them, for them to see that God is in their life and that God loves and forgives them. This is about us having a true passion to see the lives around us transformed. This is why we talk about block parties so much, to make windows appear where you can talk with people and build relationships. This is why we set up uh, a photo booth at the Oktoberfest in downtown Lee Summit last weekend. This is why uh, we need people to serve at the Trail of Treats this upcoming Saturday. Did you know that we're expecting over a thousand people to be here for Trail of Treats? Over a thousand people many of whom don't have a church community. All these people that, that don't know 
that God is for them. Little kids that are going to be here in their cute costumes that might not have the opportunity to grow up and hear that God is for them. That's why we do things like the Trail of Treats, to build connections. So many people feel like God is against them. What would it take for you to change their mind? What would it take for you to show that God is for them? And that you as a Christ follower are for them. Not just here on a Sunday, but at work, in your neighborhood, at get-togethers, in the lake. So what, is it like to, what does it look like to be for someone? Well, you create common ground, you create connections, you create conversations, and you show that you're for them through your presence. You can text people when you know that they're having a hard week, or just out of the blue. I, I have a, a random text thing that I do every once in a while. And just to say, hey, how are you? I was thinking about you. I was praying about you. You can go cheer their daughter on at her soccer game. You can make a meal for them when you know their family's going through a hard time or someone is sick. Somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way, someone decided to pick up a bullhorn and stand on a street corner and to tell everyone about their status with God. And I'm sure that this person was well-intentioned, but, but guess what? No one's listening anymore. And it just makes people angry. And it doesn't create connection. It doesn't create common ground. And it certainly doesn't create conversation. It's one-sided. You know this about bullhorns, right? It's one-sided going out. Nothing can come back to someone with a bullhorn. As a church, we're called to say yes to people who have ever said no to God, who have said no to a church. And this isn't, this isn't so that we can have a, a bigger attendance. It's so that we can be the presence of Christ in people's lives and say that we are for them. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? Something incredible is going to happen out of this. This is going to be language that you're going to start to hear with Woods Chapel. Our leaders are going to be asking ourselves, hey, how's your for? Who are you for? So today what we want you to do is um, take your bulletin and open it up to page two. And typically where there's a black box with some text is an empty white box. And so what we want you to do is to write down the names of four people that you are going to be for. There are pens in front of you, unless you're in the front row and then they're behind you. Uh, but we want you to take this right now and write those names down. And then after that, what I want you to do is take a picture of it with your cell phone or write it down on something else because when we have communion uh, this morning, after you receive the element, what we want you to do is we want you to put your bulletin with the names of the four you are for and just put it on the stage because we're going to collect those and gather them together and create a piece of artwork to show how we are for other people. And so if you still haven't picked up a pen, please do so. Please write down the names of who they are.
some follow-up story while you are writing down names. The day after the lake hug, <laughs> I got onto Facebook. Ah, Facebook. And I tried to tra- track Bama down. I had to recall her full name. And then I didn't know how to spell it correctly because I couldn't find her. And so uh, a couple weeks go by, and I get a friend request from Jen Bama. And she said, hey, I found you. And I was so excited. I let out a yip. No one was in the office, so it wasn't embarrassing. And I was so excited. I messaged her back. And this week, I had coffee with a friend at Panera and the Pearl over at uh, Summit uh, Woods Shopping Center. After uh, my coffee with my friend, I zipped over to the Pearl and I knocked on the door. And it was 10 o'clock in the morning. And I don't know if you know this, but taverns aren't open at 10 o'clock in the morning. And so no one was there. And so I'm knocking on the door, I'm looking in, and no one comes to the door. And so I'm like, ah, I'll have to catch her some other time. And I tell her this, and she's laughing at me. And it's like it's 1998 and 2000 all over again. Because I'm a big dork, and I haven't changed much in that sense. But she knows that I am for her. May you know those four people, and may they get an undeniable sense that you are for them. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much that you love us, that you are for us. Before we even had the chance to sin, before we had the chance to mess up, to reject you, to accept you, while we were yet sinners, you died and resurrected for us. And so we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that you love us, that you are for us. May we be for other people as well. We pray this in your name. Amen.